Well, guys, good morning. Today we're talking about facing discouragement. I got to tell you, for the last three weeks, I've wanted to kind of get a little more in shape, so I've been getting up in the mornings at six o'clock and running for three weeks, and I, I was pumped about this. In fact, someone overheard I was running. She she said, "Dan, are you trying to get buffed?" I said, "I'm not trying to get buff. I'm just trying to be a little less squishy. You know, that's that's my goal. That's what I'm going for." And a couple days ago, I got up, though, and I got on the scale, and, and the scale read that I was up two pounds. Like, oh, I was down on myself, you know? So, so my, my wife, she comes in and she goes, don't, don't be discouraged, Dan. Be encouraged to just not eat so many donuts this week, okay? You know, I, was, I was down because I had hoped that things would change, and things didn't change. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 12, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. You realize if you hope for something and what you're hoping for doesn't happen, you, the Bible says you can actually get a sick heart about that. You guys, I don't think we need to spend too much time talking about the fact that we can get discouraged because I believe every person in this room has faced discouragement. Some of you in this room right now are facing discouragement. And it happens because there's things that we hope for, things that we want to see change. And when they don't change, we get that, that sickness of the heart of discouragement. And just, now why is this not working out for me? And it can happen on so many different levels. I remember several years ago, one of the very first opportunities I had to teach here at Fellowship Church, I was given an opportunity to teach a new Christian class called Starting Point, and, and I was so pumped because 15 people signed up for the class, and then three people showed up to week one, and I remember thinking that was a little, a little discouraging. Week two, one person showed up, okay? Week three, not a single person showed up to my class, and, and I remember just having, having this, this battle going on where I, like, I had this hope of something great that could happen, and, and, and my expectations were not met at all, and it's like, Hope deferred, it made my heart sick. Today I want to talk about discouragement a little bit, but I want to jump right into a story in the Bible found in Genesis chapter 29. And we're going to look, I love this scripture, I've taught this scripture uh, even in the, the recent past, and I want to jump back into it today because it's burning in me just knowing that, that God wants to do some work in some people's lives today through the truths found in this passage. So while you're opening up to Genesis 29, would you pray with me, and then we'll jump right into this. So Heavenly Father... We can come before you right now, and it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we ask uh, that you would meet with us today. That God, for those of us in this room that are discouraged right now, we pray that you would put courage into us. You would encourage us today. And then God, for anyone in this room that, that is going to face discouragement in the future, we pray that you give us the tools we need today so that we know how to face discouragement the way that you want us to. So be with us today. We pray that you'd, you'd come into this place, that your Holy Spirit would would, would come into this room and that we would encounter you and your love and your grace for us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, as we look into Genesis chapter 29, a little backstory of who we're talking about. We're first of all talking about a man by the name of Jacob. Uh, you've heard of Jacob because Jacob was the, the grandson of Abraham. He was the son of Isaac. And God, throughout the Old Testament, it says things like, you know, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he identified that way because there was promises and there was covenant that was made through Abraham. And you've got to see it manifest in his kids' lives. So he's saying, you've you got to look at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at how blessed they were. Look at all the things I did for them. And you can recognize that's how good of a God I am. And I'm going to do wonderful things for you. So you've heard of Jacob before. 
Now Jacob is at a stage in his life where it's a time for him to find a wife. So his father Isaac says, okay, I, what I want you to do, and we, we find this in Genesis 28. He says, it's time for you to go. And what I want you to do is I want you to go to your uncle Laban's house, and I want you to go look for a wife. Now, if you're, if you're tracking, if you're following along with what I just said and what Genesis 28 says, is he's saying, it's time for you to find a wife. I want you to go to your uncle's house and hang out with your cousins and see if you want to marry any of your cousins, okay? Now, your family might be messed up, but I doubt your father has ever said, hey, it's time for you to find a wife. There's a family reunion coming up, so, you know, <laughs> like, it's pretty weird if we're honest, Right? That's probably a topic for another day. But, uh, but anyways, Jacob finds himself going to where there, there are some young women that he can meet and, and see if any of them uh, are his liking. And he's trying to look for a wife. And that's where we pick up the story here in Genesis 29, verse 16. It says this. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel was lovely in form and beauty, and Jacob was in love with Rachel. Now, Bible scholars dispute, you know, what does it mean by the fact that Leah had weak eyes? We don't really know. We don't know if it was a medical condition. We don't know really what the Bible's referring to here when it says she has weak eyes. What we do know is that the Bible does not describe Leah the same way that it describes Rachel. Because the Bible says that Rachel was lovely in form and beauty. But see, there was a problem here because Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. He, lo- he loved Rachel, but Rachel was the younger sister. And this went against all sorts of customs there. It was customary that the older sibling would be married off first before the younger sibling had the opportunity to get married. And, and Jacob's saying, I-, I want to marry Rachel. So he goes to Laban and says, I-, I-, I want to marry your daughter. What can I do? And he says, okay, work for me for seven years, and then I'll let you marry my daughter. And he starts this contract with him, and he works for him for seven years. And he says, all right, the seven years is up. Now, uh, I want to marry Rachel, so let me marry your daughter. And and Laban says, okay, I'll do it, but he ends up tricking him. And when it comes to the wedding day, he doesn't present Rachel to him. He he presents his daughter, Leah. And the wedding goes on, and he marries Leah, and then he he comes aside again with with Laban and says, what's the deal? I thought you said I can marry Rachel, and you gave me your your other daughter. And he said, no, 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 no. This is my older daughter, Leah, and you're going to marry her first. And and if you want to marry Rachel, you can marry her as well, but I'm not going to marry off my younger daughter first. So Jacob found himself married to a woman that he didn't love. He said, okay, well, I want to marry your your younger daughter, Rachel. So now what do I need to do? And they agreed on, upon another seven-year contract. He says, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll let you marry my daughter. Give it one week, spend a week with Leah, and then I'm going to let you marry Rachel, but you need to work for me for another seven years. And, and, and he finds himself now married to Leah, waiting to get married to Rachel. And this is where I want to kind of flip the story. And let's look at the rest of the story from Leah's perspective. Because imagine with me for a moment, what? Well, What if you're the older sister here? You know, Leah had dreams as a young girl that she wanted to grow up and she wanted to get married. And she she wanted to be married for the same reason every one of us in this room would want to be married. She wanted to be loved. She wanted to have a partner. She wanted to have a friend. She wanted to have someone she could confide in. And now she finds herself married to a man who doesn't even love her. And, and to bring it beyond that, she doesn't love her. He doesn't love her because he loves her younger sister. 
a younger sister that she feels inferior to in every way. She's, she's prettier than I am. She, uh, my own husband loves her more than he loves me. And she finds herself in this, this horrible picture of disappointment. The things that she hoped for, she dreamed for. I, I wanted to be married. I wanted my life to look a certain way. But it doesn't look this way at all. And then we look in the story here. And, and it says this in verse 29. No, sorry, in verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, so God even looked at her and said, Look, Jacob doesn't even love Leah. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. What a picture of disappointment this is. You know, she just wanted to be loved. And, and she didn't know how to get the love. And, and, and God sees this and sees that she's miserable and says, you know what, I'm going to give her a child. So when she finds out she's pregnant, she thinks, you know what, there's an opportunity here for me to get like a, a step up on my sister. You know, because if I have the first child, and in fact, she was even praying, well, what if this could have been a boy? And it was important in this culture uh, to have the firstborn son because the firstborn son is where all the inheritance went to, where all the honor went to. So she's thinking, if I could have a son, then certainly my husband's going to love me. If he sees that, that the inheritance is going to come down through my child and, and, and I give him a son, he's going to love me. This is going to change my situation. Thank God this is what I've been praying for. My circumstance is going to change today. But then the Bible shows us that as much as she hoped that her circumstance would change, as much as she hoped she'd be loved, something different happened. You see, in verse 33, it says that she conceived again. So here's the second child. And when she gave birth to the son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she's thinking, the first son is going to change my circumstances, and it didn't, because now she's saying, I'm still not loved, so God gave me a second son, and she named him Simeon. Verse 34, again she conceived, now we're talking about a third child, and when she gave birth to the son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons, and she named him Levi. So here Levi is, and she's accomplished a great feat. She's, she's given birth to three sons, and she's raising three boys, and she keeps saying over and over again, this is going to change my circumstance. I've been waiting for my circumstance to change. My, my husband's going to love me now. I gave birth to one son, and that didn't work, so maybe if I give birth to a second son, that's going to make him love me. And then the third son, she keeps going down this road. Certainly my husband's going to love me now. And then something drastic changes between verse 34 and verse 35. Between the third son and the fourth son, because Leah has a different outlook when we look into verse 35. It says, she conceived again. So now we're talking about son number four. And when she gave birth to the son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and she stopped having children which is also a gift from God if you have been raising four boys. <laughs> Isn't it interesting here that she goes through the same circumstance. She thinks, I'm going to have a son, and my husband's going to love me. And then she does it again. 
Certainly the second son, he'll love me. The third son, he'll love me. On the fourth son, something changed in Leah where she said, you know what, this time, despite my circumstances, despite what's going on, even though my husband doesn't love me, that doesn't matter. This time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to praise the Lord. So I want to challenge you today with the question is, what will you do this time? What will you do this time when you face disappointment, when you face discouragement? No, because Leah, she faced the same discouragement, and it was the same thing over and over and over again. That can be tiring. You know, it's one thing if, if you hope for something and it doesn't happen, and then you hope for something completely different and it doesn't happen. She keeps thinking her situation's going to change. She keeps thinking her marriage is going to get fixed. She keeps thinking things are going to work out. And over and over and over again, she deals with the difficulty, and finally she's like, she's like, Okay, I can't fix what's going on around me, but what I can do is I could say, this time, I'm going to praise the Lord. I wonder, what are you waiting on right now? What are you hoping that if this circumstance just changes, then I'm going to be happy? You know, if my, if my kids will just stop getting in trouble, then I'm going to be happy. If I can just get my husband to come to church with me, then I'm going to be happy. You know, if I get the job that I've been looking for, if I, if I get a certain amount of money in the bank, if I can just accomplish that level, then this time I'm going to be happy. See, Leah looked at it different. She lived enough life. She dealt with enough pain to where she started recognizing, you know what, going down this path of thinking, you know what, if my circumstance changes, then I can get happy is leading me to a darker, more depressed, sad place. So she said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a different outlook on life. And I'm going to recognize that whether or not my husband loves me, whether or not my circumstances change, my God loves me. And what I can do is I can focus on praising him. And I can focus on loving him. See, her disappointment was in people. She was disappointed because she had a relationship with a husband that wasn't working out well. And see, we can have disappointments and discouragements in all different areas of your life. It might be with your 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 significant other it might be a relationship it might be your kids that you say you know what I feel discouraged because I want to see this moving forward but it can be many other things too it, it can be a job it can be a diagnosis that comes from a doctor you know it it can come in so many different forms it could be tragedy I see people who go through discouragement because they go through very difficult things in their life. You might lose a loved one and, and go through, through something horrific like that. And, and then I'm coming out of it, you're like, I'm just so discouraged because I had hope that, that you know, I, I would live the rest of my life with this person and now they're not there anymore. See, it, it can be so many things in our life. In fact, sometimes the discouragements we face are huge like a tragedy, but sometimes they're very small. I can tell you personally from my own life that that really the, it's the small discouragements that I struggle with the most. Because if, if you're hoping for something huge and it doesn't happen, you can just say like, you know, ah, I really want that, the, the top job. I really want to do something great. And then when it doesn't happen, you can be like, well, it was kind of a, it was a big dream. You know, it didn't happen. You can kind of just deal with it and move on. But it's the small discouragements that we deal with on a daily basis that we I can at least tend to go, you know what, I shouldn't, it's not even a big deal. I shouldn't even worry about this. I shouldn't care. So what we do is we just say, I'm going to sweep this one under the rug, not even think about that anymore. And the truth is, I am thinking about it. The truth is, uh, I do lay in bed and wonder, why did that person say that to me? 
You know, why wasn't I given the opportunity? You know, why was I looked over and someone else was given the opportunity? It's the small discouragements that instead of me dealing with them and facing them, I just kind of push them aside and you can deal with so much more difficulty when it comes to those areas. See, we face discouragements on all different levels. And I remember when I was a little bit younger, I think out of being naive, I would look at other successful people in my life, older men and women, and I'd think, you know what, they just don't deal with the same discouragement I do. You know, they don't have to go through the struggles that I go through. They're, they're ahead in life, they're successful because they've just gotten an easier path than I've gotten. And I've grown up a little bit, I've, I've recognized how naive a statement like that is, and and how the truth is actually the opposite. The truth is actually it's successful people who deal with more discouragement, more criticism, more problems, but they face it the right way. Because in fact, no one's, no one's criticizing someone who's not doing anything. It's the successful people that are actually doing something with their life where people get on Facebook and start talking trash about you and people start to criticize everything you do. It, it's, it's always the leaders that people have opinions about. So it's these successful people that what's the difference between how they face criticism and how I face criticism? How do they face disappointment or discouragement and how do I face disappointment and discouragement? What I've come to recognize is that that successful people have a plan. They have a plan of attack. Of They know I'm going to face discouragement. And when I face it, this is what I'm going to do. You know, we're told in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 that, that, to not be discouraged. It says, have I not commanded you? This is a command from God. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, God wouldn't command us to not be discouraged if it was impossible. If he's saying you're just going to succumb to it, you got to deal with it, that's one thing. Well, he's saying, no, I command you don't be discouraged. So that means you can build a plan. You can, you can have a plan of attack when you face discouragement and how to be successful. So today I want to talk about, you know, how do we have a Leah outlook on life? How do we face the discouragements that we face and say, you know what, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. And, and here's, I'm going to give you a six-point uh, message today. It's going to be very simple, six points. And, and the point of this is like, it's not going to be overwhelming. It's not going to be greatly inspirational. That's not the idea of this message because this message is supposed to just be practical. Because sometimes what we need is not the great inspirational and overwhelming. We just need, what do I need to do today? I, I need something practical I can hold on to. Because see, the devil sometimes will try to get you to think you have to do something drastic if you're going to change your levels of discouragement. And that's why he'll whisper into our ears, you're never going to be happy in this marriage, so you've got to do something drastic like get a divorce. Or you're going to have to go through years and years and years of counseling before you're ever happy again. He, he tries to lie and say it's got to be something drastic when many times what we need is to just simply do what God has told us to do. The practical, the simple, the easy, and it's the small things that make the huge differences in our lives. In fact, that's probably one of the things I, I struggle with sometimes in my walk with God is it's not finding out what God wants me to do. It's just simply obeying the simple things that he's asked me to do. Oswald Chambers wrote a devotional book called My Utmost for His Highest. And it, he wrote this. Uh, he said, even the smallest bit of obedience opens heaven, and the deepest truths of God immediately become yours. 
Yet God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you have obeyed what you already know. See, for some of us in this room, it's not about hearing something new. It's just about simply applying the small things that God has already asked us to do. So I'm going to jump into this message, six points. And one more side note here is by this simple six-point message, I'm not trying to make light of anyone's pain in this room. Because I know we could pass the microphone around and, and people could wow us with their stories of the discouraging things that they're going through right now, the trials they're going through, the struggles and difficulties they're going through. And I recognize that, but the, the hope and idea of this message is that every one of us would leave encouraged saying, you know what, I'm going to have a Leah outlook on life. I'm going to leave here today not saying I hope my circumstance changes, but we're saying I'm going to leave here praising my God no matter what my circumstance. So I'm facing discouragement, six points. The first point is this one. Number one, when you face discouragement, look back. Look back. What do I mean by that? Well, we have to look back at the great things that God has already done for us. This is rehearsing what what he's done for us in the past, where he's taken us through difficult times and we've been blessed in the past, how he's given us breakthrough. I remember learning this from my parents at a very young age. My parents were in a ministry in Fort Worth, Texas, and they were very successful. They had a great job there, but they felt like God was calling them to come start Fellowship Church here in Grand Junction. So in 1989, we moved our family here. We began working here at Fellowship Church, and as my parents were working on building this ministry, I could remember the night vividly when I was eight years old, and we got a call from the police department. The police said, listen, you got to get down here because there is an arson who's broken into your building and burned down one of your buildings. I remember seeing the shock in my parents' face and just tears running down their eyes. And and my sister and I, we were overwhelmed. We didn't know what to do. We hopped in the car and and we're, we're all running down there in the middle of the night. There's fire trucks there, smoke everywhere. It was crazy. And, and I remember seeing my parents so disappointed, so discouraged with tears running down their face. They took time to stop and, and, and kind of huddle my sister and I up, and we're, we're freaking out. We're like, we're kids, we don't understand what's going on, but we know we used to be in a city with friends and, and family, and now we're in a strange new place, and we don't know what's happened, and our building just burned down. We're freaking out now, and my parents said, listen, guys, God is a good God, and he's, he's helped us before. And we've gone through some scary stuff before. Mom and I have gone through some financial things before, and he's come through. We've gone through some health things before, and he's come through. So guys, I believe as we look back and see how good God has always been to us, I believe he's going to come through for us now. And this is something that, that Amelie and I have begun doing in our own family where there are times where we get discouraged and disappointed. One of the first things we try to do together is sit down and remember all the things, to look back and remember all the things God's done for us. Remember when he met us when we were in the hospital and we were so scared? Do you remember when he helped us in this situation? He helped us when we were having a problem with that friend? Do you remember all these times? So we know he's always been good and we believe he's going to be good in the future. So the first thing to do when you face discouragement is look back. Look back at what God has already done for you. The second thing is to to look up. To look up. To bring our focus up on God. Because we could focus on our problems and make our problems seem huge. I two little girls. I talk about them all the time. You know them. I remember Kayla one day was sitting on the couch holding her thumb, looking like this at her thumb, just freaking out. Going, ah! What's wrong with you? She goes, I have a huge splitter. 
It's just, it hurts so bad. And I, and I grab I grab her thumb and I'm looking at it. I can't even see the splinter. So I have to go get my glasses and put them on. And I, I look at it and like you can barely see a tiny, tiny little stick there. And she is so focused on it. It is the only thing she can think about. Right? It's huge. Help me. So I tell her, I'm like, we're probably going to have to cut your whole hand off, you know, but we'll get this taken care of. And, and I pulled the little, the little thing. I said, look at me. Look, look up here. Look at me. Look at me. Just a little spinner. I got it out. It's as simple as that. Guys, we go through life so many times like a little kid with a splinter. Where something comes up and, and instead of looking up at daddy and looking up at God and going, oh, help me with this, we think, oh my gosh, it's a huge problem. I'm probably going to lose my job. I don't know what I'm going to do. If I lose my job, I'm going to lose my house. And then I'm going to, and we go down this pathway of like this bad thing's going to happen. And that bad thing's going to happen. And this is going to, and that ultimately it's all going to end up where I'm going to lose everything. We, we go down that path and, and God's telling us, what are you doing focusing on the problem? Did I ever tell you to focus on the problem? No, God, God tells us we need to focus on him. When things don't turn out the way that we wanted, when we find ourselves in a situation like Leah where we had hopes and we get disappointed, we get discouraged, we got to look back at how good God is, but we also have to look up at how big he is. And when we focus on how big he is and how good he is, our problems seem smaller and smaller and smaller. The third thing we need to do when we face discouragement is to look out. Look out. This means look out for the things that cause discouragement in your life. Now, now this is where it gets real practical. Is Are there people in your life that bring discouragement to you? You know, the Eeyore type people? Of, oh, these bad things happen to me. Nothing good ever happens to me. Probably going to happen to you too. Yeah. <laughs> are we surrounding ourselves with people like that? We've got to look out for where is the discouragement coming from? You know, sometimes I have to really evaluate what I'm watching on TV and what I'm listening to on the radio. Because there are shows that I watch that, yeah, they're entertaining. They're, they seem fun while I'm watching them, but I recognize afterwards I, I, I feel down, I feel discouraged, or I feel angry after I watched it or worried. I think, I, I'm letting influences into my life that, that are bringing discouragement. Why am I doing that? Well, we've got to look out for that. We've got to look out for the people that are, are bringing discouragement to us. And that brings us to the fourth point is that we need to look around. So look out for the bad influences and start looking around for people who will actually bring you encouragement. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. We need to find people who, who will encourage us. Find people who we can encourage them. That's why we've got these small groups we talk about like every week. We talk about our classes. We talk about different areas where you can get in and minister with people because you're going to go through difficult times. And when you go through difficult times, that's when you need people around you that are going to encourage you and going to help you out. And here's the trick. You never want to wait until you need encouragement before you start looking for these friendships and start developing them. I, I get to go to hospitals and visit people when they're sick. I get to go to hospice and visit families as loved ones are dying. And there's a contrast of people there. There are two different types of people I run into. There are the people who, who have the encouraging relationships where you come in the room and they're surrounded by people because they've spent time developing. They've looked for the people who are going to be with me and help me and support me in times. And then there are the people that don't have that. 
That they just, they think, well, I, I don't necessarily need someone to encourage me now. So they never develop it. They never look for it. And those are the people that are always hurting the most. I've gone into rooms where I could tell I was just totally not needed. You know, people laughing with each other, throwing stuff at each other, turning the TV up real loud because he's getting old and he can't hear it anymore, you know, and just messing with people because there's, there's so much joy and encouragement in the room. And guys, I want to encourage you. We have opportunities here for you get, to get to build these relationships. So when it comes to facing discouragement, we need, to, we need to look back, first of all. We need to look up at God. We need to look out for discouraging people and discouraging influences. Look for the influences that, look around for the influences that will encourage us. And number five is look beyond. Look beyond yourself to how you can start serving and helping other people. One of the best things you can do when you need encouragement is to encourage other people. The Bible tells us, Proverbs 11.25, The generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I can, to be honest, there are times that I get up, and I know there's a church service coming, or I'm going to a ministry night or something like that, and, and I don't feel like it. You know, I'm discouraged, I'm tired, I'm drained right now, I just don't want to do anything. And I get, to, I get to the ministry time, and then there's opportunities for me to pour into other people and to pray for other people and encourage other people. And it, I've recognized over the last several years, it's in those times when I'm praying over other people and trying to impart courage into other people that, that God, in turn, fulfills this promise from Scripture where while I'm refreshing other people, He begins refreshing me. And guys, for some of you, you've gone through some difficult stuff, and you're not supposed to let your pain be wasted. Don't, don't let your challenges be wasted where, where no one else is helped by it. If you go through something difficult, you should use that to help other people who are going to go through that same difficult thing. You know, that's why people who have gone through addictions and, and divorces and different trials and stuff like that in their lives will come and serve in different ministries here where they can help other people who are going through addictions and trials in divorces. So don't let your pain be wasted. And as we start looking out from ourselves and just focusing on the splinter in our own finger and start looking how we can help other people, the Bible says that that's where we're going to gain refreshment. That's where we're going to gain encouragement. And then the last point when you face discouragement is to look in. Look inside and decide I'm going to encourage myself. Now, now don't get me wrong because we know this whole Christian faith, what we understand about the gospel is we don't have it on the inside to save ourselves. We don't have it on the inside to forgive ourselves. We need a savior. We need Jesus. But what I'm talking about is to get on the inside this type of committed attitude like Leah had where she said, you know what? This time I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm not going to wait for my circumstance to change. I'm not going to leave church today just hoping that everything's going to be different on the outside. But on the inside, I'm going to make a change today and say, from now on, regardless of what's going on, I am going to praise the Lord. Guys, if we want to see our lives change, if we want to be the type of people who can go through trial and not be taken out by one storm after another, but just keep walking and keep moving forward, we have to get it on the inside this time, God. I'm going to praise you because you're good. Last winter, um, we pulled out a huge puzzle and we were sitting there on a snowy day in our living room and I took this thousand piece puzzle and dumped it out on the table and my girls, they, they got wide-eyed. These are tiny pieces and there's tons of them. And they've done the smaller puzzles. 
You know, they've done the 100-piece puzzles and the 250s and stuff. They've done that. But, but this time, it was a 1,000-piece puzzle. And my girls are looking at this, and they're going, Dad, we can't do this. That's going to take forever. We're not going to be able to do this. And I, I calmed down. I said, don't get overwhelmed by this. It, it's really a lot simpler than you think. Let's, let's figure out what we know first. What we know is we know the edges. The edges all have a flat side. So let's start with what we know. Let's pick these, these edges and start putting them into place. And I guarantee you, as we get the edges, then all the other pieces are going to start to fall into line. There might be those of you here today that you look at your circumstances and you go, this is just overwhelming. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know how I'm gonna, supposed to leave here encouraged. I don't know how I'm supposed to leave here and change anything. I, I don't know how because it looks like there's just so much to it. And I want to encourage you today to start with what you know. Start with these very simple practical steps. When you face discouragement, say, okay, maybe the first thing I should do is I should look back at all the things that God has done for me. Start to gain some encouragement out of that. Maybe, maybe you'd look today and you say, you know what, I already know the first piece I've got to put in place. And the first piece I've got to put in place is I've got to look out for those discouraging people. I've got to get some influences out of my life. I've got to spend a lot less time with them. Or for some people in this room, maybe I need to spend no more time with them, period. Maybe you need to leave here today and you say, the very simple puzzle piece I need to put in place is I need to join a small group. I need to join a ministry team. I need to surround myself with some other people who can bring some encouragement to me. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every person in this room that as we look at our lives and the overwhelming mess that they can look like sometimes, I pray that you would help us to start where we know. And God, for each person in this room, I, I pray that none of us would take this flippantly, but I pray that every one of us would be able to identify what it is that we should do today. So help us today, God. And where you've told us to encourage one another, I pray today that we would all leave here with just a decision that we're not going to wait for other people to encourage us, but we're going to grab someone and encourage them today. We're going to pray for them today. We're going to help them today and show your love. So Lord, thank you for every person in this place. Thank you for the baptisms that are about to take place here in just a couple minutes. Thank you for your love for us. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place because all that you've done for us we love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give him a shout of praise. He's good. He's good.